Happy Thanksgiving to our American listeners and happy just another Thursday to everyone else as we bring you the 117th episode of our little podcast called Scoring at the Movies. What we do every other week is scamper back several years ago and do a spoiler-filled analysis of a sports film. I'm the lady charger who apparently needs to wear crutches forever because I'm the slowest healer who ever lived, Ryan Ellis. And here's the man who never sweats, even when the basketball game he's playing in is nearly over, the man who knows Billie Jean King was a tennis player and not a golfer because we did a podcast about her playing tennis just last year, Christy Gregorio. Thanks, Ryan. When I got the call to do this high school girls podcast, I quit my job immediately, came right on over here, only slightly drunk, so I'm ready to go. <laughs> and I do know who Billie Jean King is, that's true, <laughs> and what sport she played. <laughs> you knew without having seen Battle of the Sexes. Yes. Well, you mentioned the job thing. I'm going to do the nutshell right off the bat here right because that bat. is my nutshell about the fact that he abruptly does the march out, throwing his robe or towel, whatever it was. Apron, right? Apron, that's what I said robe. I meant apron. <laughs> his dishwasher's robe. <laughs> Special places do that. The expensive restaurants give you a robe when that's you're a right. busboy. Exactly. Anyway, he does that with, I guess, the boss, the manager, whatever. And then we see later on in the movie, it's only been a few months. He's back there. I know. So the winning season, in a nutshell... Busboy abruptly quits, then just inexplicably returns to old job. <laughs> that is not really telling us what this story is about, but that does happen. He has like, effectively three jobs in a matter of months. What I love about that transition so much, and we talked about this when we were watching the movie, is... Together. Together, that's right. But after he gets kicked off of the coaching gig and he goes back to the dishwasher's gig, we commented on it was immediate. It's not like he was unemployed for 48 hours, 72 hours a week or more and was trying to convince the guy to hire him back. Next morning, he's already on the job, already bussing tables... And for a movie that had a bunch of half-developed or undeveloped but still present little plot lines, the one that I kind of wish they'd thrown in, more for comedic purposes than anything else, is something to do with the relationship between the manager of that restaurant and... Uh, Bill. And Bill, yeah. Why did he hire him back? Mm-hmm. Does he owe Bill like some gambling debt or something? What's going on here? I want to know. Not only did he quit immediately stomped over customer's food to get the portrait of Bobby Knight off the Mm -hmm. wall and then steal it, apparently, and storm out of the restaurant and hires him back immediately. Mm -hmm. I had a good laugh out of that moment because it was so inexplicable, but I wanted more. There weren't a ton of laughs in this movie, but that was pretty funny. We've talked about this a lot, I think, mostly with late 70s, early 80s movies where we've said, okay, this is meant to be a comedy or sometimes a dramedy, as this one is definitely a dramedy. Yeah, it's cute, and you had those moments where you might smirk or smile, but never laughed out loud. There might have been one or two moments in this movie where I had a chuckle, usually because Sam Rockwell does something ridiculous or because his mustache caught the light in a certain way and it made me laugh. (laughs) But yeah, this was a movie where I don't think either one of us laughed all that much for something that I expected to be a comedy, especially the way it started. The first like half hour, you're like, oh, this is going to be like a slapsticky comedy. And then it veers pretty hard into the drama elements of a dramedy. Pretty serious material. He's an alcoholic and yeah. gets a DUI. We don't actually see him get pulled over, but that's obviously what happened. A lot of threads in this movie that are either half-assed. There's too much in this movie. There's too much. 
But there's the whole thread of, we hear right at the beginning of the movie, either just before or just after he actually, I mean, no, it has to be just after, basically it happens immediately, just after he gets the gig as the girls head coach of this high school basketball team. Yeah. Varsity. He had been a well-known high school coach for the boys varsity teams in that area, but he'd been unceremoniously canned and the team had effectively walked out on him mid-season and nobody knew why. And then we get a moment later in the movie where character actress Margot Martindale. Margot Martindale. I know you don't love BoJack Horseman, I don't think. I like the show. I've seen yeah, it. Yeah, but that is one of my favorite running gags mm-hmm. of the movie is just that character actress, Margot Martindale, and she just keeps popping up all You've over You've had a chance to say that four times now oh, because she's it. been in three previous movies we've covered. She's going up on the mountain pretty soon. She's going to join Costa up there if we keep it up at this <laughs> rate. But she asks him, because I've been open with you, what happened with that team? And he says something really obscure, like, somebody said something about my daughter, I did something I shouldn't have done, and the team didn't back me up. And that's all we hear about it. What are you talking about? Did you beat a kid on the other team and everyone walked out? Was it somebody on your own team that said something about your daughter and you ripped them a new one in practice and all the team? What happened? We have no idea. That would make the most sense. If it was an opponent, you wouldn't think it would be such a deal breaker. Right. I guess that does make the most sense. That sounds a lot like what happened in Hoosiers, too, to Norman Dale. Yes. And then Sam Rockwell's the situation here, too, is this last chance. If it doesn't work out here, I'm done. Well, that's what Norman even says in that movie. So this has some ties to that. It also has ties to a movie that came later. This couldn't have been referencing it because it was The Way Back, which was about 10 years later. We just watched that last year. We liked it a lot. Mm -hmm. There are some similar elements. That's not really trying to be funny at all. Here and there, I guess it's humorous. But this is supposed to be, at least as you say, a dramedy. But Sam Rockwell's character does share some of Ben Affleck's traits, just not as bad an alcoholic. Right. The problem I have with movies like this is the problem I rant about very regularly. When the movie tries to incorporate too much and never really accomplishes any of its ends, I think part of what we both really liked about The Way Back was we got a good sense of how low Ben Affleck's character really was mm-hmm. and why. It's a very focused film as well. Yeah, exactly. So when we get to the redemption arc towards the end, you feel good about it. And I will say, I felt good about the end of this movie. I think it was partially effective to make me feel happy for Sam Rockwell's character in this movie. But because I didn't really know what the heck had happened, was that the cause of his alcoholism or was he an alcoholic already and that played into his firing with the boys team in the past? What the heck went on with his ex-wife? Why do they treat him like dirt? Is it just because of the drink? We have so few answers to any of those things Mm. that it muddied the payoff a little bit for me, I think. But like you said, the way back was more effective because of its focus. Hoosiers is the same way too. It did a better job of letting us feel and see what the characters were actually going through. Yeah, I think that's fair, too. Well, the main reason to do this movie is Sam Rockwell. We're not going to have a chance to cover him much unless something comes up in the future. But the only real sports movie that's, well, not even really sports, but, well, references sports, Richard Jewell. I think he's one of the reporters in that. But that's the one about the guy who discovered the bombing in Atlanta during the Olympics. Paul Walter Hauser from Itania. Another favorite of mine, I think, ours. (laughs) And I tell you, especially, and he's pretty good in Richard Jewell, obviously a whole different role. Rockwell won an Oscar for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Not a sports film, but a good performance. Played W in Vice a couple years ago, and he's had such a good career. And it actually is fitting he's in this, I'm not going to say nothing movie, but this movie that a lot of our listeners might see in the queue, whatever you call it, our list of podcasts, and think, what the living hell is that? Yeah. But Rockwell will take on these smaller projects more than a lot of other actors, even at this point in 2010 when he was very established. I've always liked Sam Rockwell. I think the first time I ever recognized him in a movie was when he played Guy in Galaxy Quest. Is there air? You don't know. <laughs> Such a good role for him. And then Guy Fliegman. 
What's my last name? You don't even know, do you? God, you have a last name. Do I? Do I? (laughs) We should do a one-off podcast just on Galaxy Quest. Ever since that role, and that was late 90s. 99. Yeah. Like you said, he's had a pretty successful career thereafter, including the Iron Man movies, which were more or less contemporary to this. He was in part two the same year as this. Well, this was actually 2009 because it was at film festivals. It came out on September 3rd, 2010. So Lionsgate released it then. But it was screened at Sundance a year and a half earlier. Then took all that time to come out and it came and went. There are no box office numbers I could find online. I looked up on Box Office Mojo 2010. I thought, okay, well, maybe they reference it as 2009. Neither year has the winning season at all. But it did have a theatrical release. But it got a very brief theatrical release, exactly. We've done some movies that were straight to streaming. And we've done a few that I've said, no clue that this ever came out, Mm -hmm. right? Movies like Glory Road and stuff that proved to be pretty good movies from pretty big studios and with some decent names in them. And I had never heard of them. Mm -hmm. This definitely falls in that category. But if what you're describing from the theatrical release standpoint is true, then I understand why I never heard of this. Even as a guy that is a fan of Sam Rockwell Mm -hmm. in particular, until you mentioned it to me, I said, what? This is a movie about who? What? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, okay, sure, let's do it. I've never heard of it, but yeah. Well, it's been on Canopy for a while, too, and I've had it in my, my list, as they called on Canopy, for a long time, and it just seemed like the right time to do it. We haven't done basketball since June. The writer and director, James C. Strauss, or Jim Strauss, depending where you look, but the credits in this movie, James C. Strauss, he's only directed four movies. This was his second. His first was a film called, very serious one, Grace is Gone, John Cusack movie, which got quite a bit of publicity, well, the Oscar circles. I think it was for a song that got nominated, or they wanted to get nominated. Cusack was being talked about. I think Eastwood was involved in that, maybe. Maybe even done the music, I forget now. But he hasn't made much since, just a couple other films. I didn't write down what they were, don't even recognize the titles. <laughs> there were 21 producers on this. That's not that unusual for a small-budget movie with a pretty big-name star in the lead role and some young actresses that no one really knew that well yet in the other roles. We'll get to them in a second. Rockwell wasn't one of the producers, though, but 21 people involved producing this. With these kinds of smaller productions, is that a thing where somebody contributes money to the production and then they're like, yeah, we'll give you a producer credit? I think that must be what it is. Yeah. Because why would you need that many people for a fairly small budget film? Well, quite a small budget film with not exactly a huge cast. Not wrangling Lord of the Rings people or a Star (laughs) Wars cast and crew. It has to be either somebody's kicked in money to the production or in the case of somebody like Sam Rockwell, we can't pay you as much as you would otherwise command, Sam, but we'll give you a producer credit on top of the salary and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. I never really understood why it is that actors really seem to push for those producer, executive producer title add-ons once they get more clout. You know, you see that all the time with TV series. Mm. The stars will become producers or executive producers as the series runs on. I assume there's a benefit to that. I don't know what it is. Well, a good example might be Brian Cranston on Breaking Bad. Yeah, exactly. Vince Gilligan never admitted it, but I think the logic is that one of the reasons why, okay, spoiler alert on a show that a lot of people saw and it's been a long time, (laughs) but... His character may die, but he gets pretty much what he wants to happen. A, people have speculated that maybe that's all a fever dream, and he dies in that car in the snow in New Hampshire. Right. Or if it's supposed to be that it was real, the reason why everything seems to work out for Walter when it really shouldn't is because Cranston was a producer and may have pushed for that. And uh-huh. Gilligan buckled to his star, who's such a good actor, and also had a certain amount of power by that point in that series. But I don't think Cranston was a producer in the beginning. You're thinking that a lot of these actors push for producer credits. To get clout. To get clout. And maybe, yeah. And I'm control sure. the character more. Yeah. Well, the movie that came and went wasn't exactly loved by critics, but it wasn't hated either. It's actually interesting to see 50%, right down the middle, 50 <laughs> on Rotten what, what is this, Ryan? The U.S. Senate? <laughs> Hopefully that's settled by the time this podcast comes out on the 24th, on Thanksgiving. 
It won't be because we know there's a runoff happening Oh, that's in right. Yeah. December, that's right. So it can't be settled. You're right. Anyway, 50% of the critics liked the film. 5.1 out of 10 was the average. There are 22 reviews on the site and 55% of audiences. That is pretty much hitting a bullseye for me. Not to spoil my eventual score, but... If you just did. Yeah. 50%, 55% from critics and audiences checks out. Seems 100%, right, yeah. yeah. Well, we said we wanted to do the movie for Rockwell's sake, and he's definitely at least rock solid in this. Yes. But his supporting cast is pretty good, too. Rob Corddry, we've seen him twice before. I don't remember his role in, I think, either of these films. I'm going to think of it. But he was in two Will Ferrell sports movies. He was in Blades of Glory, which we did, was that this year? I think it was this year. And also Semi-Pro. Well, Semi-Pro, I do remember, because remember Woody Harrelson and Maura Tierney, he's watching them do it on the couch, and he's getting right. off on it. So he's the principal, Terry, and he's the second, or maybe even arguably the first character we see in this movie. Comes and hires Rockwell. It's almost like he doesn't know that Rockwell works there. Hey, Bill. But then he's offering him a job, so it seems like he did track him down. Either that doesn't track, or he was pretending that he didn't know Rockwell would be there. I assumed the latter when we were watching. I thought it was a pretense, because it did come out of the blue. Hey, what are you doing here? By the way, I really need you to help me. I'm going to coach this team, but you're not drinking anymore, right? But you're going to help. Okay. Doesn't he say no a few times to Rockwell at first? Well, especially when it's girls. At first he's excited, but then he hears his oh, girls. Oh, he hears his girls. That's right. That's when he starts throwing the fits. I have a cockball players. I've got girls. <laughs> Tom Hanks in a league of their own. And just like Tom Hanks, this guy comes around and starts to really love his team and yeah. really wants to see them win. Doesn't care that they're girls anymore. Emma Roberts really was a girl. So she is the second build actor on IMDb. She was only 17 when they shot this movie. This is Julia Roberts' niece, and I believe she's Eric Roberts' daughter. I think that's the connection there. Unless there's okay. another Roberts I'm not aware of. So at the same time frame as this, she was in Scream 4 and We're the Millers. So she's had a pretty good career. But Rooney Mara was 23. And I said to you, without having looked it up at that point, <laughs> that I would have thought it was the other way around, that Roberts was maybe not old, but older. And Mara was just basically a kid. But Rooney Mara was 23, and she looks even younger, quite a bit younger than that. She does look very young in this movie. In fact, when we were about 40 minutes into it, I think I asked you, because it's never really explicitly said, it says this is the varsity team in this high school. How old are these girls meant to be? 15-ish, maybe? If you do four years of high school, especially in the States, what are you, when you graduate, 18, I guess? No, you're younger, aren't you? 17 to 18, depending on what your birth date is, I think. But they may not be seniors because they're only five, I guess, arguably. At one point, they're seven. Whatever her name is, the one who never actually plays. The one who's on the, crutches? I think it's Mindy, right? Yeah, I think it's Melanie Hinkle. So she never even plays, but she is on the team. She's always wearing a uniform, but she doesn't play. So Floor is added. The, what is she? I don't think they ever actually say. She doesn't speak English. She speaks Spanish because she's speaking to... Kathy. Yeah, I want to say Mexican, but she's not Mexican. She said she was born in California, I think, but she's of Mexican descent. She speaks Spanish. So she's speaking to Floor. Yes. We're never actually told, and obviously Spanish is spoken all over the place, so who knows? Assume Mexican, I guess. But But much like Hoosiers, it's a very small team, and they have no bench at first because Mindy's the only person on the bench with Bill and then eventually Donna. That's half the reason why I wasn't sure how old they were meant to be is because the first practice he shows up and says, hey, so this is the team? Yeah? Where's the JV squad? Where's the junior varsity squad? There isn't one. It's only us. Does that mean they've just got anybody from the age of like 14 through, I think it could be. through a senior? It could be. But then we find out later that Rooney Mara's character keeps insisting, no, I'm 17. I'm not 16 anymore. So I think we're meant to understand they're all in the same grade together. They seem to hang they, out together. Yeah, that's right. They hang out together. And maybe they would anyway, but it seems to be that they're classmates seems and so. basketball teammates. Could be. Rooney Mara in particular looks very young. It doesn't really play into any of the plot at all, except for that one subplot where the creepy older dude is trying to pick her up and Sam Rockwell comes to her 
I want to say rescue, but... It, she doesn't want him to come to her rescue, though. Yeah, it was more like a protective dad that's not really wanted kind of mm. thing and less rescuing. The guy looks creepy. Like, he's got that creepo vibe to him. Mm. But he never actually does anything that's... Aside from just being clearly older than yeah. Randy Mars' character. I always forget the age of consent. Is it 16 in the States? I think it changes state to state, just like it's different in oh, province okay. to province here. But and this is set in Indiana. They made the movie in New York, but it's set in Plainview, Indiana. Right. I didn't look up if Plainview is a real place. The Lady Chargers of Plainview. Right. And that was another thing we weren't sure of for like the first half of the movie. Where are they? Because this is one of those things where you've got a whole bunch of white faces and then token ethnic characters sprinkled in. Okay, well, middle America, I guess that makes a little bit more sense. Well, you said at one point the team is really white, but even when they first start playing, they've got two non-white people, Kathy and Lisa, so a Hispanic girl and a black girl. That's true. I think part of the reason I felt that way watching it was because of one of the earlier scenes in the cafeteria when the characters' names I've just totally blanked on. (laughs) The Hispanic girl's trying to sit down. Kathy. Kathy, right. And then Lisa keeps bag blocking her right and then when the other girls ask why you've got to be that way and her comment was why do they always keep coming to our country and they're like you don't see the irony here lisa so to me that read as middle america maybe a high degree of racial prejudice or bigotry present here that's rubbed off on lisa in the same way that we've talked about in other phases of history in north america too I was on the receiving end of this bigger tree in the past, but I've made it now. I'm in, I'm here, and now I'm going to turn that on the next people who try to come in behind me. As unfair as that attitude is, I think it's a real thing. And I assume that's what the movie was trying to portray. But what bonds them? Bigotry. Yes. The opposing player is ragging on Kathy and being racist about it. Yeah. Kathy walks out angrily, and Lisa gets in the girl's face and then slugs her. I thought that was, if not clever, at least effective, because it's true. Sometimes you don't necessarily recognize the impacts of your subconscious biases or something until you get this really ugly representation of it in your face. And so when they did that and it caused that bonding moment and that light bulb moment for Lisa, where she's like, yeah, I can't treat my teammate with cold disdain anymore because I see now what it's like. None of this is said, by the way, but you're right. This is supposed to be what's been thought, at least. This is what I'm attributing to it. Maybe I'm giving the writing too much credit. For a movie where I've already said there were a bunch of things that I felt were at least not as effective as they could have been because they weren't given enough time to develop, this was one of the subplots that I thought, even though it's not given a ton of screen time, I think the screen time was managed effectively. And from that point on, they're cool. They're pretty tight as teammates. And And Kathy's one of the best players. Lisa must realize that. Yes. That was a nice little bit of, I guess, density on the part of Sam Rockwell's character through the early part of this movie, because I think we're also meant to understand I'm not a smart man, but I know what basketball is. Right. A, he does a lot of stupid stuff over the course of the movie, but B, he spends weeks of practices and games where he just keeps consistently seeing Lisa have Kathy wide open, and she just will not look at her, will not pass the ball, and rather than ever address the issue directly, what is with you girls? Why don't you get along? And then just forgets about it and moves on. But it's a consistent thing for like the first four This minutes. specific example is something I could point out, but I will not. Yes, exactly. <laughs> He's mad during the game, but he should be angry at Lisa specifically for doing that. That's right. Well, they do start clicking and bonding better. They showed how good they're doing for a while there, so I wrote a lot of them down. They were 0-4, 0-7, 4-7, and if they kept on showing the rankings, I didn't keep writing them down. But they end up obviously having... A winning season, or this movie would be a lie when it comes to the title. But I do like the ending because they don't win. It's not like I always want the team, our hero team, to lose. But I think that a lot of the time, if not most of the time, in sports movies, that's a better ending. 
that was better for Rocky and then Rocky Balboa. So I guess Rocky Six that right. he lost. It was way better in Friday Night Lights. Now that's based on reality, of course, but still, it's better in Friday Night Lights that they lost. I've watched that ending many times on YouTube. It's a very emotional ending. And in this one, Kathy, maybe because she's a young girl, does something you don't see boys pretty much ever do in sports movies or reality: openly devastated on the court. She misses the last second shot, and she collapses on her face. And obviously, she's blaming herself. When Bill gets in the gym, I thought to myself, okay, he's been kicked out many times by Terry, and why is Terry not doing something at this point? It's not like he'd have to interrupt the game because the game's over, but maybe that's why Terry's thinking, okay, who cares anymore? The game's over. This guy shouldn't be around these girls at all, which is the same thing in The Way Back. Affleck's not allowed to be around the boys because he had been drinking in the office. They found out, got one warning, did it again, you're gone. And not only you're not on this team anymore as the coach, but you're not going to be around these guys at all anymore. I think that's supposed to be what's going on with this as well. I think so. But maybe because Terry's not really that bad a guy, his own daughter's on the team, and the game is over, he lets it happen. It's also just one of those, it's a mover. So you got to let Bill on the court to comfort Kathy. But you said that you thought it would have been smarter if one of the girls did it first, and then Bill comes in. But it's Bill who goes to Kathy right away. Well, the only reason I said that is because of exactly what we just talked about with that racial tension, bigotry, sub-thread between Lisa and Kathy. At least Have it be Lisa that gets down on the floor and puts her arm around her. Exactly, because we do get that moment where they've come together and forgiving each other as a capper of the movie. I thought it would have been effective if when Kathy was on the floor, just devastated, that Lisa would be the one to go over and pat her on the back and say, we still got each other kind of stuff. And then when the whole team's there, then you bring in Sam Rockwell. His character's not much of one for a rousing speech in this movie, but to come in and say a few words, I thought that would have been effective. But nonetheless, it was still a nice ending. And as far as the heroic team or the protagonist team losing at the end, I tend to agree with you. And I think it has to do with the arc of the team specifically. Oh, yes, because most of the time, they would had no business being there if you look at right. the start of the season. So for them to get there at all is an incredible achievement. Yeah, that's half of it. And for me, the other half is, as a director, writer, whatever, what are you trying to get your audience to feel right now? And is it that you want the team to win? Or is it that you want a redemptive moment for Sam Rockwell or bonding for the girls or a moment of respect and recognition for the girls because that's what they've been fighting for? And in this case, it's not really about winning the game. It's more about winning at life. all the other stuff. Winning at life, yeah. This game in particular, we had redemption for Sam Rockwell. We had the bonding for the girls at the end, and we had respect from the school based on what they accomplished, just getting into these sectionals for state and stuff like that and progressing through the playoffs. So I think they'd hit the marks that I assume the movie wants us to emotionally react to when we're watching this movie. So I feel like having them win would have just been too cheesy and over the top. Well, one weird relationship in the movie, though, is Bill and Donna. Not so much that's weird the whole time, but he sits down with her and just basically asks her, is he gay or not? That is an interesting relationship. Donna being gay subplot. Not really sure what it was meant to accomplish. So she can bond with Terry's daughter. That is true. Because Tamara herself is a lesbian, obviously, or at least is curious about it. Yeah, she's coming to the realization. And we see that a few times when I guess she's got a bit of a crush on like the center for some of the opposing teams, mm-hmm. or one of the opposing teams anyway, and that distracts her at various points, which I thought was a cute and probably fairly realistic. Mm-hmm. It happens dilemma. early in the film, very briefly, but if you've seen even 10 movies, then you know what that's all about. Oh, yeah. And it pays off later on. This is one of the few sports movies I think you could probably find, and certainly one of the few we've ever watched for the podcast, that could pass the Bechdel test. Because you have Margot Martindale as, I want to say, fill-in. When Sam Rockwell gets booted off the team, she's the one that steps up and becomes the coach. So she's speaking with her girls, 
and they're speaking about each other. They're speaking about their lives. They're not speaking about men. Wow, how often does that happen in a sports movie? Mm. It's not like we picked this movie. We picked it because we don't have the opportunity to do a lot of female-centric sports often. And Rockwell. And Rockwell and his amazing mustache. And availability. And ava- <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Free all, all, all of these factors play into it. But, you know, it's nice when you can look back on it and say, yeah, we managed to like capture something a little bit different and recognize it. We'll also see a couple of young actresses before they became, they're neither of them are really huge names, although Rooney Mara is pretty big. Emma Roberts hasn't quite hit what I would call stardom, but this is obviously early on in their career, so there's that element of it as well. For sure. So Tamara is played by Megan Witchery. The film was made well over 10 years ago, and it's interesting to see her being so, swear to use maybe too much, woke thing about how, oh, the heavy girl, her name is Cindy. Well, he doesn't know that. He has to call her something. It's not like he called her fat. He wasn't even necessarily trying to imply that she was fat. Whatever he said about her wasn't even necessarily, oh, the heavy set girl. Maybe it's supposed to be for comedy that Tamara is so on people about that, especially Bill. I think it is, but, yeah. And maybe you were seeing that more then, and I just didn't notice it. But you see it so much now that if somebody were to call somebody the wrong expression, then the younger generation especially is going to be all over them with the tisk tisk. But Tamara was ahead of her time. <laughs> I read it as being played for comedy. It did read ahead of its time. I thought it was these young women trying to teach this emotionally deadened, half-drunk guy how to be a little bit more sensitive about the human beings around him. Because that is another element of Sam Rockwell's character we get introduced to early on, is that he says, women hate me. But we very quickly find out that very few people in this movie actually like Sam Rockwell. Does he have any friends? Not that we see. Rob Corddry might be the closest thing we see in this movie, and that's more like a past relationship, not really current You can't call him friends. No. When we get him being ragged on a couple of times in this movie, by Tamara in particular, about something stupid he's... Or not even stupid, but just unthinking that he said. I'm trying to remember what word it was he used for that player. I think not heavy, but maybe like big. That was big, maybe, yes. Because it was the center on the other team. So yeah, she was a little bit of a heavier player, but she was also very tall. So So she's big in that way. Yeah, yeah, so when he first said the big player, I just initially went to, oh, the center or whatever, right? Maybe it's also fitting that the aspiring, well, aspiring, but the closeted lesbian is the one who's calling him out for judging women. Yeah. Because she is into women. (laughs) Or is not really sure she is at that point. Well, you talk about emotions and the way he reacts to things. One of the better scenes in the film, it's a very understated thing that goes on here. I'm sure Rockwell's playing it this way. I think I've read this correctly. Mm-hmm. When they give him the outfit, the Bobby Knight-type outfit, oh, yeah. they all must have chipped in and got him the outfit. He doesn't look at them at all. Now, maybe that's what Strauss asked him to do as the director, or maybe Rockwell knew to play it that way. But my interpretation was, if I look at you, I'm going to cry. Oh, 100%. He thanks them for it. He appreciates it. But he's so gruff. He's not really a gruff guy, especially at that point in the film. But in that scene, he is. And I think that's saying, I'm barely holding this together at all. And if I turn around, I am going to weep in front of you for this nice gesture. I read it exactly the same way. And I liked it for that reason, because it was super understated, which would be consistent with this guy's character, who has not been someone that wants to show any emotion to the team. I thought Sam Rockwell played it perfectly, because you do get that gruffness but you can also see just in the minute facial expressions and the way he does not look at them that he's got that emotional upsurge that he's barely holding on to right Mm. although i did find it kind of amusing that the setup for that very emotional scene was him walking into the practice court and be like i told you to stop leaving crap on my court and then picks it up Mm. it's not like it's a A plastic bag bag or something (laughs) it's like a carefully and very neatly bow tied it's clearly a gift yeah (laughs) he just picks it up immediately just jams it into the garbage can (laughs) wow you could have put it on the bench if you thought it was one of them leaving a gift for someone else (laughs) yeah 
Maybe that's just supposed to be funny. And I think that came after that moment when Sam Rockwell's character has the big blow up with his daughter. Mm -hmm. I think we're meant to understand that has sent him reeling because it seemed like his character began to drink more from that point. Yeah, I think you're right. She wants a restraining order against him. Yeah, that made no sense. She's being a teenager, but to even say that... He goes off that drinking binge, and at one point, the girls find him trying to get into his car, just clearly loaded, Mm -hmm. and they take him home to his apartment. And I think that happened before they gave him the gift, right? When they see him in that state, and they ask him a couple of times, are you okay? We don't think you should be here alone. Do you want to talk about what's going on? I thought that was a nice progression in the movie for a couple of different reasons. First of all, because when they do give him the gift later on, and he is just barely holding onto that emotion, I thought that was one nice little payoff. But the other element of it was what you talked about earlier with Tamra poking at him with be more sensitive, be more aware of what you're saying. That's the way they engage with him early on. But then by the point when they drive him home, it evolved into a respectful concern at that point. Mm -hmm. So they're not there out of duty anymore. And they're not just poking at him because he's a middle-aged white man. That's a point of concern, and then that evolves to the gift, and he's right. reciprocating those feelings a little bit. So I thought that was cool. Well, the key relationship in the movie for him is supposed to be Molly, the daughter, and yeah. it is to some degree. It pays off and in whatever ways it does at the end. But the most mature person in the whole film is probably Abby, and that's Emma Roberts' character. In that scene you're talking about, she sees the keys in the ignition and takes them out and acts like, no, can't find your keys in here. So he won't just barrel past them and get in the car and drive drunk. And, of course, that's also paid off by the fact that later on he's driving, not blitzed, but he had too many drinks at that restaurant, asked that waitress out, the closest he ever comes to any kind of sexual interest or romantic interest in anybody. And what he does isn't really all that big a deal. She seems to like him back. But then again, that could just be her doing her job, trying to be charming. And the waitress basically says, no, I'm not going to go with you, so fine. I wouldn't say he's loaded to the gills that night, but he gets pulled over for a DUI, which he certainly should have been the night if he'd been driving when they find him outside the school. Oh, yeah. That hammered. But... Abby is the mature one, and we talk about driving. She wants to learn to drive in this film. So that's another of the many subplots in this, and it's Bill that does it, I guess, in his car, teaching her to drive. That is supposed to be not just Abby learning to drive, but also Abby being quasi-surrogate for Molly and Bill being quasi-surrogate for Abby's parents, because in one of many not really developed or paid off of subthreads, we hear in that moment that Abby's parents exist but have basically abandoned her with her grandmother So she doesn't know where her parents are. Her grandmother is too old to drive, hence Bill's teaching her how to drive. Abby's character is the one that is definitely the most level-headed in this movie of probably anybody, adults included. Except when it comes to that very punchable kid. What's his name? Damon, is it? I think it's Damon. Yeah, Damon. Something about that kid's face. I shouldn't say punchable face when I'm talking about a teenage kid. You're right. But man, so smug. And the music he's listening to, oh, this is a real banger. Oh, God. I guess they had to probably find some sort of music that was not rights prohibited or something. It wouldn't cost them any money. So who knows? Maybe that was one of the cast and crew's demo tape that they were playing (laughs) in the movie. But Her judgment isn't perfect, though, if she likes him. No, definitely And of course, he never goes to her games, even though she goes to all of his. And she's on a good team, and she's a key part of that team. Well, every player is a key part because there's only one extra player at any point in the season. It's a very small bench. They have five players, then they have six. I joked about how you don't sweat in the opening of this podcast because I pointed that out. Yeah. It's probably true many times, but during one of their, let's hash it out, the last couple of minutes of this game thing, these girls look like they just came out of makeup minutes ago. Yeah. There's not an ounce of sweat on them, and it's only the five of them. Maybe Flora was on the team by that point. Okay, then they have one sub at the most, and they all look like they haven't done anything at all, <laughs> which is not the first time in a basketball or sports movie that's ever happened, but it was really noticeable in this case. Yeah. And maybe girls don't sweat the way boys do, but... They should have been a little bit more disheveled and red-faced and sweaty when they've been playing hard for that long. 
If I've learned anything from my wife, it's that women don't sweat, Ryan. They glisten. Contra to the Rocky movies or something, two seconds into any bout, and Rocky's just soaked head to toe in baby oil or whatever, right? And then you've got this movie where, like you said, the dying seconds of the fourth quarter and what was meant to be a a hotly contested game, bone dry. Everybody's (laughs) bone dry. If I was Sam Rockwell's character as the coach or something, I'd be so pissed with my You're not working hard at all. Yeah, you're not working. (laughs) Move, come on. Somebody work up a sweat. What the hell? So you mentioned it a few minutes ago. Molly, the daughter. Shanna Dowdswell. Don't know the name very well, but she's the daughter that doesn't like him at all. And then she's helping him out by giving him her cell phone so he can call Don on the bench rather than using the payphone. That was a pretty fun scene. Not funny, but when he's going from the window of the gym and then has to run to a payphone. And of course, he also has the cell phone when he's getting chased by security. So she does help him. And the very last shot is the two of them walking down the hallway. Seems like they're going to mend this relationship. When the movie was over and the credits were rolling, I said to you, I don't know that the daughter was needed. Yeah, I feel like you could have written around her. And if that means you develop some of the other threads of the movie and make them more emotionally effective, then I tend to agree with you. The problem I had with the daughter is the same problem I had with a lot of the underdeveloped threads. Why is he so far on the outs with his wife? I know Ex-wife. She's with somebody else. Sorry, I'm pregnant, too. You're right. Ex-wife. And I think that actress, I know she's been in a bunch of stuff. Jessica Hecht. So she was Ross's ex's yes. lady on Friends. Carol's new love interest, right? Yes. Carol, that's her name. Yes. She's Susan. That's Carol's, that's right. And she was on Breaking Bad. She is Walter's ex from many years ago. Right. So frankly, the way her character read in this movie was, you're a bit of a tool. And granted, part of that is suffering from movie writing. You can't have a human conversation. No, but yep, 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 kind of conversations. But the number of times in this movie where he's like just let me talk to my daughter. I just want to speak to her. She's doing that thing that obnoxious people do where you're just trying to look in a way and they stick their face right in front of your face. No. Mm -hmm. And she did that to him the whole movie. And at a certain point, I was like, yeah, I kind of get why you don't like your ex-wife here, Bill. But then she invites him to sit with them watching Molly's game and everything seems fine because he sits with them and it's not like he's mad at the guy anymore or even her. What changed? What did he do to repair that relationship? He was worse. Maybe they don't know he was acting worse, but he was as the movie played out. He was hiding his drinking in, what was it, Gatorade or something like that, sloshing it around, as Affleck does in The Way Back. Yeah, and that's the same issue I had with the Molly relationship. We don't know if he's on the outs with his daughter because of his drinking or he's drinking because he's on the outs. Is it a chicken or an egg kind of thing here? We don't know ultimately why she forgives him at the end, except I think we're meant to understand she's seen the way he is with the girls on his team. Look how much he cares. Admittedly, I'm a 41-year-old dude trying to put myself in the mindset of a teenage girl, at least for the purposes of the script. So if I'm mad at my dad as a teenager... For not caring enough? Yeah, and I see him not caring about... In not my, caring about me, but caring about them. You yeah, matter. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And now, admittedly, he tried to make it up to her. He tried to apologize. And she's like, no, restraining order. You can't get a restraining order because your dad took you away from a birthday party you wanted to be at. I frankly thought he had a right to be mad at his ex-wife. If he has one day a week visitation, assuming she has no reason to think otherwise. Because at that point in the movie, it's not like, I know you've been drinking or anything. She wanted to go to a birthday party on your visitation day. So without asking you, I said she could go. I'd be pissed as a parent, too. Now, you don't react by necessarily going into that party and yanking your daughter out and saying, you're coming with me, little miss, right? Because then she's going to be mad at you, and you should know that. But still, if I'm Sam Rockwell's character, I would be mad at my ex-wife, too. I just never really understood why these relationships evolved in the way that they did by the end of it when Sam Rockwell and Molly are walking off arm in arm and all seems well. Why is it good with your ex-wife now? Why is it good with your daughter? Because the movie has to end. 
because it's not movie. a very long movie either. It's an hour and forty three minutes, but it does seem like there's way too much in here Agreed. for various characters. It was to give them something to do, I guess, including Donna. Actually, the better thing with Donna than the whole thing that she's obviously gay, but doesn't want to admit it. It's no one's business. She doesn't want to talk about it, of course. But she says as part of the deal to coach, and she's supposed to get paid too. Where he gets the money for that, I don't know. Well, he gets paid, I guess, so he has to give her some yeah. of that money. But when she's just doing her little workouts behind him in the gym, <laughs> yeah, ignoring fun. the basketball stuff, you think she would actually be helping him out with coaching? It's not like she doesn't know anything about basketball. Doesn't know much, but it's not like she knows nothing. But no, she's doing her own little workouts in the background. It's not funny, but it's charming. It starts out she's just power walking laps. Mm. Every time the camera would cut to the team and then back to Sam Rockwell, you just see her passing in the background, <laughs> uncommented on. I think we see her doing Jane Fonda-esque style workout with the basketballs at one yeah. point. She's just doing different things every time. And you're right, never paying attention to the actual practice itself. Mm. <laughs> well, the rest of the cast have highlighted most of their credits, but Sharika Epps is Lisa. Great voice. Is she related to Omar Epps? I looked it up. It doesn't say online that I can oh. find. Maybe she is with that name. It's spelled the same way. The odds are decent, but I didn't see that she actually is. Has only made eight movies, but did do Half Nelson with Ryan Gosling. And I think maybe she's a key part of that movie. I saw that a long time ago. And when I clicked on the link for Half Nelson, she's third or fourth build. Emily Rios is Kathy, who's got a lot of screen time in this, even though Roberts and, well, Mara, I guess, was not really a name yet. But this is the woman who played Andrea in Breaking Bad, the one that Jesse is with. Breaking Bad three times has come up on this one podcast. (laughs) But she plays her in that. Mostly has done television over the years. And Martin Dallas had just done three sports movies we've covered. They're Days of Thunder. Million Dollar Baby, and Secretariat. And the best role there, of course, even though it's a little bit shrill and hackneyed, is the Million Dollar Baby role as... The mother, right? Hilary Swank's mom, yeah. yeah. Who is she in Days of Thunder? I'm trying to I remember. don't recall. I think it's a small role. Could be, okay. I thought the actor that played Kathy was pretty solid. You talked about Emma Roberts' character is probably the most reasonable, level-headed, and probably most relatable character. And the leader. She gets them worked up for the big game. Absolutely. Does what he did before, but they're all still sedate, I guess, because they missed their coach. But then, it's our house, even though they're on the road. Our house, banging <laughs> the right. lockers and all that. That reminded me almost of North Dallas 40, with the players trying to get themselves fired yeah. up before the right. game. Her character is definitely the leader, the most level-headed But of all the rest of the cast, I thought Kathy's character was maybe the most, leaving aside Sam Rockwell, the most interesting character in the movie because of the arc she has with Lisa. She had a few not hugely developed, but still interesting conversations with Sam Rockwell about feeling like an isolated person involuntarily alone in your own home. And this was the most interesting thing I thought about it too, because I thought it was an incisive maybe look at this kind of assumption about people based on skin, color, accent, whatever, where she said, I feel so alone here. In fact, I think early in the movie, Lisa asked her, why do you come here? It's like, I want to go somewhere with more racial bigotry or something, or I want to be more (laughs) and more bigoted against. The irony is I was born in California. I think it's California, maybe Arizona. I've never been to Mexico. They all think her family just hopped the fence and came to Indiana for some reason. But she's like, if I went to Mexico, I'd be just as alone and an outsider there as I am mm-hmm. here. I don't have a world in which I belong, which I thought was an interesting little take on it. Yeah. We see her character develop quite a bit, both on the court and off it through this movie. Her devastation at the end, one thing that's consistent about it is that first she falls in her face, must be weeping, and yes. Bill tries to comfort her. But then, even though they're shaking hands and everything else, she's still upset. The warm-up jacket over her face. I don't like that that's what she's going through, but at least it's consistent. She's not over it. It's only been a few minutes. She's going back in the locker room and probably going to flat out weep. So at least that's real. We've all had moments like that where we wanted to do something like that, right? Where we've lost. Boys and men don't usually do it, but they feel as bad as she does, if not worse. I certainly have over the years. We've all done it. 
of all the names in this movie, we haven't really talked much about Rob Corddry because his character doesn't have a whole heck of a lot yeah. to do. Much in the same vein as Margot Martindale constantly doing exercises in the background of the practices. His clothes? His clothes, yeah. The flashy red pants and the Tamra's dad t-shirt mm-hmm. he's always wearing to the games. Part of why I love that so much is not just because he's doing it at every game. Doesn't give a hoot about who sees him doing that. He loves it. But the girls, oh, my dad's embarrassing the heck out of me again. No, she doesn't care. One time they say, hey, your dad's here again. And she's like, yeah, all right. You don't really see, oh, dad's embarrassing me with his antics again. (laughs) That's just what dad does. All right, let's go play. She's there and being supportive. They don't have a lot of fans at first. Yeah. The depiction of the sport, there's quite a lot of basketball in it. The actresses didn't quite convince me they're actually very good players, though, especially when they're shooting. It's almost adequate, but it's certainly not impressive or shot all that dynamically either. There's some movies where you can tell the shots and the angles. and Glory the Road, Coach Carter are really well shot basketball yes. movies. Granted, if you have 17-year-old actresses playing these roles, it's kind of like the Wesley Snipesification of basketball. But that's a good example. He's not a very good athlete, and yet in all the movies that he did as an athlete, he looks like he is. Yeah, and part of that, I wonder, is just A, Wesley Snipes, at that era anyway, was a hugely athletic guy. They did some interesting editing around his jump shots to make it look a little bit more realistic, but he was the guy that was driving to the rim a lot, too. Well, sure, he was doing that, at least. But you're right, the basketball in this movie, not terribly exciting, for sure. It's not as bad as Rookie of the Year with this baseball, but it's not great either, let's put it that way. As for can you score? Well, good God, no. <laughs> good God, no is the correct answer, sir. Rockwell's asking out a woman. Doesn't go very well beyond that. We don't see any interest in romance with him beyond that one scene with the waitress and then lovely though some of them are they are teenage girls or at least playing teenage girls yes no scoring here one of the first interactions we actually see with sam rockwell and his daughter is he's demonstrating his one-track mind at that point all basketball all the time so in a nice way he's trying to talk to his daughter but he's basically just asking her only about basketball and mm. what's going on oh you're on the varsity team oh that's great you're a backup shooting guard how's your dribble can you go to the left yet you're really hamstring yourself going to the right so we're meant to understand that she's a pretty good player but then we see her in three games, I think. Never being good. <laughs> just terrible. Getting the ball stripped, bricking shots, just the worst player. She wouldn't make their team. No. She'd be the sixth person or seventh person when Flora gets there on the bench. As for the score, I think we know what yours is going to be. Mine's pretty much right there. I'm going to say 5.5. If I was feeling generous, I'd maybe give it a six. Another movie. We've seen three in a row now. I can say pleasant and amiable. The freshman I did by myself, and two weeks ago we did... What was it again? Six pack. Six pack. <laughs> <laughs> We're on a real run of movies that just stick with you. Mediocre, eh? yeah. So it's not bad. It's just not very good. No, I agree with you. And in fact, as soon as the movie ended and we were giving some brief thoughts to one another, I think that's the exact comparison I made was this felt like watching Six Pack again. It's inoffensive. It's the kind of movie where if you've got a 10, 11, 12-year-old kid you want to watch a sports-themed movie with and you're pretty confident they'll get something out of it and there's not going to be anything worrying in it, this is the movie for you. Now you can tell, based on the fact that I couldn't remember 80% of the characters' names, having watched this movie 48 hours ago, that it's not the kind of thing that sticks with you. But there were some good themes in it. And certain elements of it still kind of worked for us at the yep. end, right? When you read 50% and 55% off mm-hmm. the Rotten Tomatoes numbers, I'm like, yeah, 5.5 all the way. I'm not going to be out there rushing to watch this movie again anytime soon, but if... I sat down and it was on TV or something. I'm like, yeah, okay, I can watch this for a bit. You wouldn't angrily change the channel? No. Absolutely. <laughs> Damn you, Sam Rockwell, Damn and you magnificent mustachioed man. Well, unfortunately, we won't get to talk about him again unless he does something in the future or if we do Richard Jewell. So not a lot of dynamic stuff going on here, but in two weeks, we will have some dynamism. We'll take a wild left turn from the gentle good nature of this film and 
tug on some boxing gloves as we risk getting shivved during Walter Hill's Undisputed, a boxing movie set in a prison, which I remember seeing, I think probably 2002. It came out that year. Maybe it was 2003 then, by the time I saw it on streaming. Well, streaming. No, it wasn't streaming. It was probably a DVD. I haven't seen it since then. I remember it being a pretty cool film. Speaking of Wesley Snipes. Another Wesley Snipes movie, exactly. Okay, we're on Twitter. I'm at moviefiend51. Chris is at scoring at movies. The email address is scoring at themovies at gmail.com. And please rate, review, find us online. Well, you already did, I guess, but find us again. We have 117, is it, episodes? Yes, it is, 117 episodes covering so many different sports. And we have other basketball films. I think we've covered the ones we mentioned today. I know we covered Hoosiers and The Way Back. Hustle was the most recent one. White Man Can't Jump. White Man Can't Jump is one of the great ones. That was, I think, our first ever basketball movie. It was. All right, well, take her easy, Sam Rockwell. No matter what happens, it appears you'll always find work. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. That's good.